Welcome to Still Scared Talking Children's Horror, a podcast about creepy, spooky and disturbing children's books, films and TV. I'm Ren Wednesday, your other co-host is Adam Wybray, and today we're talking about the 2017 kind of graphic novel Thornhill by Pam Smy. A full transcript of this episode will be available, so check the show notes for that. Enjoy! Good evening, Spooky Adam. Good evening, Creepy Wren. Ooh, it's October, <laughs> so now everything's even creepier. It is. Like, <laughs> yeah, if you woke up the other day and was like, oh, why does it feel so creepy? That's because you didn't realise that the non-creepy September had shifted over into the very creepy October. Yeah. Sorry. And all, all, um, all the Nancy comics at the moment are, are, are about spooky things, so that's that's good. <laughs> um, so yeah, we've had a couple of um, a couple of witches-related episodes, um, but now we're on to a, a different um, classic spooky entity um, with Thornhill, um, which is a recent book. Um, so I Pam Smy, and it only came out last year, 2017. Um, and we're going to, like, spoiler the whole thing. So, you know, read it. Like, it's good. Read it. <laughs> yeah, I think we've both agreed that it's, it's really worth reading. Um, so maybe get a copy for your library if mm. you can't afford to buy it, because uh, the actual book itself, it's got black-edged or lined... Pages? Mm. What, what, what's that part of the page called? Like, uh. <laughs> the end of the, the page. You know, the, she- mm. the, the sheaf of the page? The the leaf? <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm going to say that. So the leaf of the page is black. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's quite an impressive book to look at. Um, yeah. Um, would look good in your in your local library amongst the comics and graphic novels, even though it isn't really that either. No, it's not. It's a picture book, I suppose. Well, okay. The <laughs> partly. O- partly. So the only thing I've read that in form is very similar to it is Phoebe Glockner's Secret Diary of a Teenage Girl, which I also absolutely love, although it's less okay. child-appropriate. Um, although I think good for, for teenagers and older teenagers, um, but that contains diary extracts, um, interspersed with sequences of, of comics drawing and full page comics. So here it's just full page comics. So they're, they're all splash pages. Um, 
but they do have a sequence to them. And then between those, you get these fictional diary extracts. Yeah. And so it has these two, two strands of narrative and one narrative is told through the diary extracts and one is told through the, through the illustrations, um, which is a really interesting effect. Um, but each they 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 come to intersect, but they're about two two lonely girls. Um, Mary, who's an orphan at the Thornhill Institute for Children in 1982, and Ella, who has just moved into a house that overlooks the the like tumble down, closed up remains of Thornhill in 2017. Um, and it takes turns between. Mary's diary entries and drawings of Ella sort of exploring the house, um, exploring the the overgrown grounds of Thornhill. Um, and I think that relationship becomes increasingly apparent, right? At first, it's quite hard, apart from the mm. fact that we're dealing with two lonely girls, to relate the two stories. It's only quite late that Ella actually comes across Mary's diary. Yeah. So it's not set up right from the beginning of, ah, oh, she's reading this diary, now we're getting the diary extract. So at first it's quite mm -hmm. mysterious what the relationship between the two is. Yeah. Um, and um, I thought it was a really, um, a really like well-fitting choice with the story of how to tell it. Because one of the main aspects of Mary's character is that she rarely talks or like she finds it really hard to talk um to most people um yeah and she's referred to as having selective mutism yeah um and ella's story strand is entirely silent because it's just these wordless um illustrations that sometimes have notes like like a note her dad's left to her or something but um it means uh that they they basically they communicate when they, when they start sort of interacting, they're communicating through gestures rather than words, um, and you never, you never see them exchange any words. It's all <laughs> gestures and puppets. <laughs> um, so I thought that was like a good, a nice choice of how to do it. Yeah, and I think it. You know, it's not a game book or an adventure book, but it leads just this slight edge of interactivity to it or investigation. Mm. You know, I think because you're having to work out the relationship between these two different strands and the diary is positioned within the fiction of the book. I don't know, to, to, to me, it kind of... Maybe it's because the book itself also is this kind of big, slightly imposing looking object. Um... It just gave it a certain edge to me. Mm. Like, 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 it made, I guess it foregrounded the experience of reading it. You know, I was very aware yeah. of this book as an object in my room. And I think, you know, not, not in a way that was charming as an adult, right? <laughs> um, not that I was massively scared of it, but, you know, mm. I, I looked forward to reading more of it. I read it over a week or two. Um, but as a, as a kid, I talked last time about the Book of the Witches seeming like a kind of cursed book. Mm. And if I was a small kid, I can totally imagine Thornhill having that. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think it's um it's partly how the how how the drawings are done as well. I mean, because they're all two page spreads, like they're they're big, um, and it kind of I don't know. It felt to me kind of luxurious how much space each image is given. Mm. Like, for example, like there's a spread like sort of near the beginning of um, the the building Thornhill at night, um, seen from Ella's bedroom window, and so sort of the next two pages are the exact same image, um, but just the sky has darkened a bit. <laughs> um, and I think it, it kind of makes it feel sort of really slow and rich and ponderous and. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely, dark, and deep. Mhm. Yeah, and there's um, there's also entirely black pages between. Sort of. There's a, a few pages of illustrations, then some black pages, and then we get onto the diary. So. I for- yeah, a, of course. What well, so? What do mm-hmm. those black pages do for you? Um. I think they just I think they just slow you down um sort of make you um think about what's just happened um to the character before you move on to the next character again um yeah like when like when you see something bright and you close your eyes and like the bright thing kind of sparks in front of your eyes Right. <laughs> if that makes sense yeah like, yeah the, the, the black page kind of just gives that space for what's just happened to like i don't know spark in you right it, okay. it's like it's a moment of unconsciousness almost Mm-hmm. yeah um i'll give a bit of of the plot um mary's um from Mary's side um so she's um a resident at Thornhill as it's closing down um and at the be- beginning of her book her diary tells us that she the capital letter is back um is another girl who's never named but who torments Mary mercilessly um she acts as a ringleader to the group of girls at Thornhill um and bullies Mary um well the care workers are, are fairly indifferent um so mary's respite is to hide away in her attic room making dolls and puppets and her favorite being the doll mistress mary based on the character from the secret garden um so mary sort of try goes out into the grounds and she finds her own secret garden um but the bullies find her there too and it's kind of about that point in the in mary's narrative that we find out through Ella's narrative that Mary died just before Thornhill closed down um, through a newspaper that Ella's looking at. Um, It doesn't say how she died. Um, So we sort of go into the second half of the book with that knowledge. As the Institute closes and more girls are rehomed, um, it comes down to just Mary and the bully. Um, and the last straw comes when the bully breaks into Mary's room and trashes it, like pulling the heads off of all her puppets and dolls. Um, so for Mary's revenge, she pieces her dolls back together, but leaves like t- takes one broken limb or piece from each of them and stitches them together into a, a monstrous faceless doll. 
She tricks the caregivers into leaving and hangs the doll up in the pantry and forces the bully in there with it. Um, so it's hanging in the pantry while the bully's trapped in there. And she pours paraffin under the door and determined to set Thornhill and the bully alight. But, but the bully tricks Mary one last time and tells her that she wants to change and be friends and Mary lets her out. But then she sneers at Mary and runs away. And Mary decides that she's never going to leave Thornhill. So essentially Mary's narrative. Um, How did you find Mary's narrative voice? Like, you know, did she speak to you? Um, I mean, I felt for her. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Like, you know, I felt sorry for her. Um, Particularly, I mean, it's quite, there's like a bit where the, the bullies sort of kind of trick her into thinking that they're they're including her in their in their um in their games and routines but then that's only just to to be crueler when they reject her i felt like you know you really feel mary's pain at that yeah it definitely brought back quite a lot of memories of being bullied for me mm. um i'd be loath to say that i found it triggering but it perhaps bordered on that um i think it did a good job at getting across that feeling of inescapability you have when yeah. you're bullied as a kid um this sense that adults don't understand and you're going to have to go to school and the same thing's going to go on and that kind of just grim almost fated sense of inevitability that there's there's nothing you can do about it and it's going to happen um mm. and how much worse right if you're you have to up, live with them as well <laughs> if you have to live with them as well exactly um yeah and i think it got across the kind of petty degradations that kind of casual cruelty um so um mm. one thing that's done to her is uh, someone spills their drink all over her her food and yeah that was something that was done to me repeatedly at school of people in pouring my drink mm-hmm. out over my sandwiches and so that was just something that really rang home to me yeah that and it's the kind of thing that as a kid you can't really you know it seems too small to complain to the teacher about or they'll just sort of say oh you were being clumsy or you know there's no way to really prove it but at the same time you know it's stopping you from eating yeah so it's this sort of seemingly small thing, but actually if it's done to you regularly, you know, day after day, you're having to skip your packed lunch, you know, <laughs> several days in a row or something. That's really awful. Mm. Um, yeah. And I think it did a good job at getting across the sense of injustice that engenders. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and I think, sadly, that's what can breed, I mean... Certainly, when I look back on myself as a teenager, and, I, you know, I think this is true. There's been a lot of conversations about sort of toxic geek masculinity and such. And mm. I think there's some truth to that. Um, 
But I think it kind of comes from, especially if you've been bullied at school, you just can't see yourself as anything but a victim because you felt really victimised. So, mm-hmm. you know, the idea you could have privilege seems unthinkable because, well, I don't feel like I've got privilege. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think men have to get past this, but I definitely think that's probably where some of it, com- some of it comes from, at least. Mm. Is, you know, I remember... I like the fact that you feel sorry for her and yet it doesn't skip out on that feeling of righteous anger that she has. Mm-hmm. Um, because I definitely remember, yeah, I guess self-pity and the way that can curdle into a kind of righteous anger and, uh, you know, a real kind of bitterness, I think, potentially. Um, and, yeah. I, you know, I, I like the fact, I think some reviewers I saw on Goodread had a real issue with this. They said, oh, we're just trying to say that, oh, the victim is victim blaming. It's just saying that Mary's as bad as the bully after all. But I, I don't think it's doing hmm. that. I think it's trying to, you know, be realistic about the psychological consequences of long-term bullying. Yeah, no, I I, I would agree. Um I think it feels it doesn't it don't feel like you know it's the right thing to do to to burn a bully alive burn burn a bully alive Um, (laughs) which I haven't done for the record (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) but um, you can see how she's got to that point yeah it seems feels fairly inevitable that she's going to snap at some point. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I like that she's not set up as this sort of perfect victim because that's, you know, that's how you get to like little Dorrit, right? I mean, that's, that's one of the issues I have with some of Dickens's stuff. These, mm. you know, long suffering, often female children who are put upon and put upon and yet, you know, have the heart of gold and, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> die with love in their eyes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean,. Yeah, <laughs> I mean this. Um, this kind of comes into the uh, the tie-ins with the Secret Garden as well. But sort of Mary's described as quite unlikable, um, <laughs> like by a care worker. Mm. Which, yeah. Um, so, uh, which she overhears. Yeah. Which she overhears. Um, but um, the. Um, the Mary in the Secret Garden is um, is a, is a really horrible character at the um, at the start of the book. Um, really, is age? I think I don't know <laughs> if I ever read it. I remember the TV adaptation when I was a kid. It, so it's a long, long time. Yeah, I read um, well at least the first two thirds of it today. Oh, um, okay. And it it'd been a long time for me as well. But um, yeah, the Mistress Mary is um, is a is a really quite unlikable child. Um, but um she's she's just but just her she's kind of been both neglected and spoiled um and her parents have just died and she's come to a new like she was in india and she's come to england into this big country country manor and she's sort of and everyone's everyone keeps talking like telling her like what, what an ugly and uh an ugly and uh crotchety child she is um <laughs> <laughs> but she sort of um but she kind of basically starts to become a better person by sort of having the 
well, partly through experiencing kindness and having friends and also learning to look after herself and go out and be in nature and things. But um, I think it's... uh, There's definitely a parallel between the two characters that's that's drawn on in in Thornhill. Um, And you you see a copy of... I mean, she in the diary explicitly says that she loves the garden she's reading it and then in one of the drawings you also see the secret garden on ella's bookshelf as well oh i didn't notice that yeah so there's we should talk a bit about ella obviously there's less to say because as you say you have to infer it all through the drawings we never see ella say anything at all um yes so Ella's yeah just moved into the house overlooking Thornhill with her father. Um, on her walls, there's photos of her mother with her, and we we assume that her mother has died. Um, and Ella is curious about Thornhill um, immediately, and she kind of goes out and sneaks round the boarded up gate and through the barbed wire. Um, and but it's all locked up and it starts to rain so she runs away but a while later she's in her bedroom and um she sees the figure of a girl in the grounds so she rushes out but when she gets there the girl has disappeared um instead she finds a the head of a doll and takes it back with her um she restores the doll head and um brings it back to the to the area which we know from Mary's um, narrative is like what she calls the secret garden. Um, she finds another doll and brings that back to her bedroom. Um, isn't then Ella finds out about the history of Thornhill and connects the girl in the garden that she saw with Mary, who's dead. Although this doesn't seem to really unnerve her at all. No, um, <laughs> she's no, just she's just curious. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but it's when she goes back again and sees um sees Mary again, she like runs after her and Mary rushes into the house and into the attic bedroom away from her. Um Ella creates a puppet of Mary and lays it at the statue in the garden. And then kind of it seems sort of like in payment a crow gives her the key to, to Mary's bedroom door. Um, which is kind of a parallel to the secret garden where a robin shows Mary the way, like where the key is buried. Ah, okay, that's nice to know because I found that a little bit inexplicable. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Reading the Bourne Hill, so yeah, okay. Um, so Ella goes into Mary's bedroom and finds all the puppets that Mary's made, and the puppets that she's ones laid next to next to Mary's ones. Um, she finds Mary's diary, and then she pulls back the cover on the bed to find the monstrous puppet. Um, which scares, which finally is the thing that scares her, and she runs away. But um, so Ella yeah, starts the, the to read Mary. The closest thing the book has to a jump scare, really. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. Um, 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 so Ella reads what we've already read as in Mary's diary. Um, yeah, which is unusual, I think. Like having the character catch up to us in our reading. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. Um, <laughs> Um, and we see her reading pages we've already yeah, read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so she writes a note um, for Mary asking if they could be friends and um, goes over to deliver it. 
um, we see her and Mary holding hands um, in the illuminated window of the the dark house, um, but lightning strikes the building and sets it on fire. And at the end, we see newspaper articles about Ella being missing and then a body being found in Thornhill. A new boy moves into Ella's room, (laughs) and as he looks across, like at the now very very burned down Thornhill he sees uh, two figures holding hands in the garden and it's Ella and Mary (laughs) yeah and I mean the picture of him moving in is very similar (laughs) to the picture of Ella moving in so it seems like there's going to be an endless eternal return of uh, (laughs) child death I guess I mean yeah there's definitely a there's definitely a bit of something sinister there, isn't it? Like, they're, they're, they're potentially looking for recruits. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, um, it's one of those endings that the more I thought about it, the more troubling I found it. Because <laughs> yeah. the more it seems that Mary has entrapped Ella and kind of led her to her doom so she can have another friend. And that, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean... That's the thing. I mean, I've been thinking like about the ending, like because I think it's definitely a happy ending for Mary, because <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, she gets uh, the friend that she's always wanted um, to keep her company in Thornhill. Um, well, it's certainly but, not a happy ending for Ella's father. Well, yeah. I mean, we never see Ella's father. He's um. He's always at work, so we only um, we only know about him through notes he leaves to Ella on the breakfast table, saying, "Sorry, love, I won't be home for dinner." And yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, we know like uh, at the end of Mary's narrative, it she says that it's her choice to never leave Thornhill. Um, mm. But we we don't really get anything like that from Ella, you know, <laughs> like. <laughs> Um, you feel like there could have been other options for her than dying and being Mary's forever friend. Yeah, and <laughs> like, like, like what at first seemed like the ghost Mary being shy and mm. now seems potentially like she was luring, you know, <laughs> the, the, that she was trying to get pursued into this house. Yeah. So yeah, mm. I like it becomes kind of more sinister in retrospect. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and there is a the a page where we first um, get a close up of of Mary's face in the garden, like Ella's like craning out of the window to look at her, um, and Mary's expression is uh, I don't really, I don't really know how to describe it. It's 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 a bit unnerving. Yeah, like knowing. Knowing, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. She might. I don't know if that marries or what she sees. But I, I like that about it, right? Yeah, I like yeah. that this isn't just sort of the tragic waif ghost child, like I don't know, in a Decemberist song. <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, yeah, I I like that. It has that really sinister undercurrent to it. Mm. I mean, it really is a proper kind of gothic ghost story. 
the book has quite a lot of reviews on Goodreads, and hmm. not all of them are positive. Uh, quite a few people have issue with the ending. Um, and some people seem to have wanted Mary to take revenge on the bully, and uh, they said, "Ah, oh, the the uh, antagonist wins at the end," is how one person put it. And <laughs> uh, I mean. If Mary had won, she wouldn't be a ghost. <laughs> she, she, she wouldn't be hanging around with unresolved issues. Like, you yeah. don't get ghosts when they're like, yep, my business here is finished. Just gonna hang around as a ghost. Like, Yeah, uh, I mean, she wouldn't even have died. Yeah. <laughs> necessarily. So, you, so wouldn't, you wouldn't have a story. So we've kind of uh, passed that. <laughs> That's kind of baked in, really. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So, yeah, I've got that. I, I mean, that that wasn't a problem for me. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah. it's certainly a downbeat ending. Um, hmm. But, I mean, the whole book is quite a dour tone. Yeah. Like, it's a gloomy book. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's lots of Ella crying. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's a really sad um, illustration of when she comes down for breakfast and her dad's her dad's already left for work and just like left the kitchen a mess and she's like just crying doing the washing up and it's just like oh god yeah that's a bit a bit heartbreaking <laughs> yeah um, so yeah I can't really imagine this but I mean you know you could say it's an ambivalent ending as you say Mary has a friend mm. and. <laughs> Ella ha- has a friend, whether she chose to have this friend or not. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, to me it felt very... I mean, some of people said it was predictable, which maybe is more fair, but I just can't see how it could have been any other way. Mm. You know, that's that's the thing with ghost stories, really. They can only end one way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that the, the yeah. inevitability as you say, is baked in. Um, but that, that ties in, it ties in to that sense you have as a child of your life not being your own and that adults control your life, especially if you're at an orphanage or a care home, right? Mm. And that, that ties into that feeling of powerlessness Mary has about being bullied, right? Yeah. She, she can't imagine her life going any other way. Mm. So, yeah, that is, I mean, that's, that's bleak, <laughs> but mm-hmm. it, it felt emotionally honest to me, I guess. Yeah. I mean, we kind of sort of see the, it was we kind of, we read about Mary's loneliness explicitly, but sort of Ella's is kind of conveyed through drawings of like, a sort of empty, messy house and uncared for gardens just piled high with junk and, um, kind of the photos of her mother on her wall um so i don't know it kind of feel it seems like ella's feeling a similar sort of overwhelming bleakness just by how her and her surroundings are drawn oh yeah and there's a lot of deliberate drawing parallels between the two girls obviously yeah so ella gets into making puppets much as mary made puppets Mm mm-hmm for instance, and they don't look wholly dissimilar either. Yeah. And also, um, I don't know if you 
thought this, but there's a point where um, Mary describes making a puppet that looks like the opposite of her, and it's quite like how Ella is drawn. Yeah. Ah, oh, I had a vague sense of that. There's another bit where Mary writes about uh, sitting in the garden, mm. and it's as though she were a puppet. <laughs> Yeah. And that there's someone watching over her, which is really strange. Yeah. Because I, is this like a presentiment <laughs> of Ella? Yeah, Ella, Ella, makes her, Ella makes her as a puppet. Yeah, <laughs> in the future. I don't know, yeah. like, you know, when you, that thing about... I love that phrase of, I felt a chill where someone, someone, walked, someone just walked over my grave. Yeah. Because what does that mean? Like... <laughs> Does that mean that so in the future, someone at this moment walked over my grave? In the future moment? Yeah. Like... Like... Do you get what I mean? It? Like, does that, yeah, does yeah. that what the expression means? Because obviously I don't have a grave at the moment. You know, I haven't got like, a grave in my garden ready for me to get into. <laughs> at the moment, yeah, there no, is no it's, grave. It's a pretty... Um... It's a pretty surreal for, like, a, an everyday expression. <laughs> yeah. So it's got to be the future grave. <laughs> yeah. So it's like a presentiment of... A um, presentiment of being in your grave. Yeah. And, and someone, not, someone not respecting my being yeah. in my grave. Carelessly. <laughs> carelessly walking walking over it. <laughs> but but it's, it's always walking, though, isn't it? Like, you never say, oh, I just felt someone having a wee on my grave. Mm, playing cricket on my grave. Yeah. <laughs> no. Having sex yeah. on my grave. <laughs> oh my god, what would that feel like? Ooh. <laughs> 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 yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah strange, strange metaphysics, I think. Mm, yeah. yeah. Um, but the, the puppet thing of imagining yourself as a puppet, I thought. Um, tied into the the drawing style a bit um, okay because there's the way the figures are drawn that they're, they're quite simple and expressive and like a bit gangly like i feel like their limbs like sit a bit off kind of in a slightly puppet like way um yeah it's drawn in quite a loose sort mm. of style like i say it reminded me a bit of your illustrative style um, in that everything looks quite fibrous and organic. Yeah. That yeah, everything looks like it should be in a state of kind of flow. Mm. Like, um, like, like 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 everything looks a little bit permeable and a little bit sort of not wibbly exactly, but <laughs> yeah, kind of loose. Yeah, it tends towards like simple characters and like very crammed, intricate backgrounds with lots of textures like ivy growing all over the place or like all the the scuffed and cobwebs inside Thornhill mm. um which which I quite like I mean that's definitely my definitely my thing and the, the um, drawings of the puppets oh yeah yeah um yeah which are great um I wanted to draw out one more uh parallel with the um between the two girls and sort of the connection with the secret garden okay. um is the um is the idea of uh magic and sanctuary um and in the the secret garden obviously it's this garden that the 
Mistress Mary finds that's been locked for 10 years and she the the robin shows her where the key is and she gets in there and it's the first time she's had a place of her own where she can she can grow things and it's um so that's like you know her her sanctuary um her mary her room is is um is the is a similar thing it's um it talks about it as like the only place where she feels safe it's sort of right at the top of the house it has all her puppets um and and Ella's room sort of feels the same way it's kind of it's the only place that's drawn to look comfortable um it has sort of books and cards and photos and decorations compared to the the kitchen which is sort of piles of unwashed laundry and the the surrounding area that seems a bit run down um but yeah, there's definitely something about um, finding a space that is magical and then like how much of a betrayal it is for Mary for the bully to come and destroy that. Right, I kind of wanted to read the description uh, of the the monstrous hybrid puppet that she oh, creates yeah, in anger. Um, because it's, a, it's a, one of the most sort of evocative pieces of writing in the book, I think. Hmm. So, <clears throat> 11th of August, 1982. I've been awake all night and it is nearly done. I am dizzy with excitement, hot with anger, sick with hate for her, sick of her. I'm sick of it all. I have made her. I've taken the remains of my puppets and I've stitched and glued them together to make her. Not as they see her, not the confident rosy-cheeked beauty with golden ringlets and blue eyes, but as I know her to be. Cold, heartless, ugly in thought and mind. She is snot and bile. She is pus and spit and piss. She is a horror, and I want her to see what she is. I have snip, snip, snip pieces of arms and legs from the bodies of my puppets and stitched them together to form my life-sized monster's face. Her eye sockets made from crushed paper mache arms and tiny hands. The cheeks stitched from tatters of fabric she had ripped from my puppet's bodies. I've stuck glassy, beady eyes as warts on her face and collaged them together as a necklace for my monster. I've stitched tufts of hair into her body and glued shards of clay and plastic into scales for her skin. I've stuffed her with foam and torn costumes and papier mache. And I've cried. I've cried as I've used parts of my old damaged friends. Cried as I recognised bits of characters I planned and crafted and loved. I've invested my time and my care in each of them. They were beautiful. Now these broken pieces are ugly and are building something uglier. And I can't stop the tears falling onto my hands as I cut and stitch and glue and scrape. But now I have made her. And now I can destroy her. Ah, fearsome mm. piece of writing, that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. Um, and the... Uh, and the the illustration is uh, as horrific or, or more, <laughs> even, than you might imagine from that description. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It really, it really sells the, the horror of that puppet. Um... 
Right. Mm. Should we do texture of the week? Hmm. Yeah, all right. Texture to texture, 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 <laughs> well, I've yeah. read mine, so you know, I'm I'm done. I'm done. Oh right, was that yours? Read it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean that was mine as well. It's it, clearly it the best very texture. Clearly the best texture, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, Don and Dustin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, our first texture of the week, we were in agreement that the was that Beetlejuice. The uh, that Beetlejuice grave, um, astroturf grave, <laughs> at grave astroturf was obviously the best texture. Sometimes there just is yeah. One. Sometimes there is objectively a texture of the week, and this week there is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, any further thoughts, or are we? No, I think we're pretty we done? done and dusted. Uh, just to say that, yeah, I really liked it. Um, I found it quite moving. Uh, it was creepy. Uh, it's a great late night reading. Um, I really mm. like the illustrations. Uh, I think you said to me in text that the only drawback, if any, is some of the dialogue's a little clunky. Oh, yes. I did um, think there was um, when there's uh, conversations of the care workers talking to each other. Um, they they use each other's name every time they say something, which I found a bit distracting because that's not really how people talk. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> but that is uh, that's a minor. Yeah, people. I mean, um, overall, I really like it, and I'm definitely going to yeah. make sure to look out for what Pam Smy does next. Mm, yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, I think recommendations for for all kind of creepy kids and uh, spooky adults. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, our. Oh, yes, uh, so we now have our new and updated theme tune, mm. um, which is very exciting. Homaki Yamazaki, as always. Um, our outro is by Joe Kelly. Our artwork is by Letty Wilson. I'll put all their details in the show notes. And you can get in touch with us at uh, stillscaredpodcast at gmail.com or at stillscaredpod on Twitter. Also, apparently I was bad and wrong to tell people that they could just click the stars on iTunes rather than also leaving well, a review. Well, you're never bad apparently and wrong. <laughs> but apparently that doesn't count for very much, Adam. You have to, they have to leave a review as oh, well. Um, yeah. well. Well, I hope they do. But we, we've had some really nice emails actually the last month. Um, oh, so thank yeah. you for those. And um, yeah, it's really nice to get some suggestions in as well. Um I'm sure we'll be covering mm. covering some of those um, in the coming months. Absolutely. Um, do you have a sign-off? Yeah. Just to say, don't look into the windows opposite your house too late at night, creepy kids. <laughs> yeah. You don't know what the ghost is planning. <laughs> <laughs> See you Bye. next time.
Bye. Toodles.